Bridgestone is very, very well known for the premium tires that we build, but we do have the ambition to focus on what we call sustainable solutions. So that's why we've also been uh, betting quite heavily on what we do with, uh, with tire solutions, with mobility solutions in general. So very gradually, uh, we are becoming a technology company. Tires are becoming the only noise emitting part of an electric car. So noise engineering, sound engineering becomes an important aspect of what we do with tires. Tires are actually becoming, certainly in the premium segment, uh, more and more a highly technological product. Vision without execution is hallucination. You can dream big dreams, but in the end it's about making them come true. And that's something that also in my professional life is, is very valuable. This is Sierra TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Bart Kerkhoffs, who is the uh, Vice President, Head of IT and MIA at Bridgestone. A very warm welcome, Bart. Thank you, Hendrik. Bart, you have a degree in engineering from the University in Leuven. Uh, you gained a lot of experience at Procter & Gamble, HP, uh, DXC, and since 2017, you work at Bridgestone, correct? Correct. Obviously, like you said, I'm an engineer by trade. Mm -hmm. I got my first Commodore 64 when I was 13 years old, so that's where I got, uh, became the computer geek. But I also grew up in, uh, in uh, the, the shadow of the, the racing track in, in, in Zolder, well known for Formula One in the 80s. And that's where I suppose became a petrol head. So I'm lucky to be able to combine my, uh, my job as a head of IT in uh, working for uh, an automotive company that, is, uh, that has quite a reputation in motorsports. Okay, so Bridgestone, it's a household name uh, in motorsports, but beyond that, of course, as well. So, but tell us a little bit more for those of us who don't really know what the focus of Bridgestone is. What is it that Bridgestone does and does really, really well? So Bridgestone is, um, is, is first of all a Japanese company. So we're based out of, uh, of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously we, um, we are very, very well known for, for the, the premium tires that we build. But we do have the ambition to, to focus on what we call sustainable solutions. So that's why we've also been uh, betting quite heavily on what we do with, uh, with tire solutions, with mobility solutions in general. So very gradually, uh, we are becoming a technology company and we're, we're growing quite quickly in that, um, in that area as well. Okay, so Japanese sustainability technology are some of the key ingredients of, uh, of Bridgestone yeah, today, premium uh, brands. Um, now, Bart, we live in special times. There's geopolitical turmoil, there's uh, financial challenges and so on and so on. So if you look at Bridgestone, where do you see the main business challenges that the company is facing today? So I think what we usually consider the, this, the disruptive factors in the automotive industry, we often use the, the acronym CASE. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that stands for Connected, Autonomous, Shared and Electrified. So it's basically that's what's happening in the automotive industry. Cars are becoming more connected, connected with... Uh, uh, other vehicles connected with uh, the roads they drive on. Yeah? Um, vehicles are becoming more and more autonomous. They either drive themselves or partially, or there is sort of a hybrid way of working with, with somebody who's actually in the car. Uh, models are changing as well. Uh, car ownership is changing. 
um, subscription models are becoming uh, much more popular where people actually share uh, cars. And, and then, of course, um, very close to many of us is the, the electrification of a fleet. Mm -hmm. An electric car has very different demands from, uh, from what it needs from a tire than, than a regular car. Mm -hmm. uh, electric cars are, are heavier, have more torque, but also, um, yeah, yeah, tires are becoming the only noise emitting part of an electric car. So yeah. noise engineering, sound engineering becomes an important aspect of, of, uh, of what we do with tires. Okay. So one of the things we see is that uh, uh, from a market that maybe has been commoditizing over year, tires are actually becoming, certainly in the premium segment, uh, more and more a highly technological product uh, again. Mm -hmm. But Bridgestone, you're not only in the car manufacturing, but you're also in the distribution uh, distribution business, right? Clearly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, like we said, we're well known for manufacturing tires, but at the same time, we also own 6,000 retail out outlets across our region. So, so Europe, Middle East, India and Africa. So what many people don't realize is also we're, we're a very large retailer and uh, and obviously that, that market has tremendous challenges uh, worldwide um, uh, for Bridgestone as well, yeah. yeah. So a lot of things are changing in the manufacturing space, in the retail space. So the business is going uh, through quite some, uh, some important fundamental changes. What's the, um, what's the impact that that has on uh, your IT as a supporting function of all of this? What else? And can you give some examples on how IT and, and, and the other supporting functions are making sure that the business can uh, go through these changes. Yeah, so I think first of all, our transformation from um, a, a core manufacturer to a sustainable solutions company is in essence um, a digital transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so many, many areas in, in our business, many functions are making investments to, to really digitally re-engineer the way of, of working. Mm -hmm. yeah. And IT very much in, in, um, in our contact needs to be a partner for that digitalization. It's actually, uh, when we think about it in ambitious terms, I'd, I'd like to be that accelerator for, mm -hmm. um, for that digitalization and making sure that we provide integrated solutions, that we think about customer-centric solutions, and quite frankly, help the company deal uh, with that, that increasing speed of change, that heightened volatility, um, but also what, what I call that, that form of technolo technology shared ownership, of shared ownership of technology. Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe that's a little different from in the past, where very often IT department was seen as owning the technology. Yeah. I think we live in a world now where digital, digital solutions are now available, are being used, are being deployed, are being decided on all over the company. Yeah. And I think that is something that certainly for, uh, for, for me and an IT function is a, is a new sort of realization that we, we need to learn how to deal with. And does that make your life more difficult or more, uh, more simple? I think it does both, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I think first of all, what it's my ambition to change IT from what used to be an order taker mm -hmm. to a collaborator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, being in that position of collaborator basically helps you to to scale what it is that that you do. So yep. you create the framework, yeah, uh, and from that framework you help your company uh, deploy technology where it can be of value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I look at that as a force multiplier. 
but it certainly makes um, our life in IT more complex. Yeah. yeah? And so we, you're re-architecting the business, and the business is going to change. You're re-architecting then the, the, the IT support function, new ways of collaborating with the business as well. Could you maybe give a couple of examples on, of, of some of the most important transformation processes and programs that you're going through? Yeah. So I think we have built our transformation program around three pillars. Yeah, first of all, what we call the digital IT backbone. The second one is what we call the digital operating model change. Uh, and the third one is the creation of an IT partner ecosystem. Okay. In the first case, where we talk about the, the digital IT backbone, the kind of investments that we've made there is, first of all, in um, using our inevitable SAP upgrade as an opportunity to digitally re-engineer some of our core business processes. Yeah. Uh, it includes uh, things like cloud migration, building of a cloud center of excellence, it includes the establishment of a data analytics practice. It includes also efforts that we've made in the, let's call it, democratization of, of, of development tools, low code, no code, those kind of things. And, and last but not least, also uh, our cybersecurity roadmap and the kind of investments that we've been needing to make there. Now, in, in short, it, it's an infrastructure and application modernization effort where we really look at what are the going to be the core building blocks that we need to support the ambition that we have. Yeah. And then secondly, is about uh, the changing the digital IT operating model. Like I said, for me, this is really how we go from an order taker to a collaborator. Yeah. So it's about introducing new ways of working, multifunctional teams around value streams agile ways of working and really sort of create that new kind of 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 of, of working yeah to yeah. to to get much much better integrated with the business and then the last part is is comes from a realization that that trusted partners that we've we've worked with and been successful with for years are, are maybe not the right partners for our future so it's taken a hard look at at who uh, is supporting us, uh, ways of working, uh, and, and making some occasions tough decisions to, to um, go into the future with different partners. Mm -hmm. uh, but in other cases, it's also about doubling down on partnerships that exist and, okay. and just to find a new refreshing way of, of how to work with them. But at the same time, also create an ecosystem where other partners can come and play, be innovative, come with new ideas that we can basically then grow and thrive. Let's talk about these three things a little bit more in, in detail. And let's maybe start with your IT operating model. So you say you, you've changed that from, uh, from a support function, more like a collaboration function. Uh, how did you, I mean, how do you do a change like that? Because it's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. Yeah. So, so how does that work? You need new people to do that. You need a new strategy. You need to work in a different way with, with your business colleagues. What, what's the, how much time do you need to change a, a yeah. model like that? So, so first of all, I repeat the phrase, it's an evolution, not a revolution, a few times a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's important to, um, to consider. Bridgestone is also a large organization that very often runs at different speeds. So there is not one particular approach towards one particular function. 
Um, I think it's perfectly okay that certain areas are a bit more conservative, while, for example, in our solution space, our developers, our technology counterparts in the business will be much more advanced. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the past we often talk about bimodal IT. I think we have landed in, a, in an area that we can call multimodal. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, uh, so there's some kind of recognition that, that um, a waterfall way of working uh, or more traditional approach can be very valid in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've certainly bet heavily also on developing um, our capabilities to become a much more agile um, IT organization, really embracing uh, the concepts that, that come with that. Yeah. So what you're saying is you have to adapt a little bit to that business unit or this client on where they are in the thinking and how... Absolutely, yeah. How, how open they are to really collaborate with IT as well. Absolutely, and I think... Some of my colleagues have, uh, I don't know whether it's a luxury position or not, but the board decides one day that now we're going to work agile and then simply things seem to happen. That is not the approach that we've taken. We've, yeah. we've built that from the ground up. Um, we've taken a bit what I would call a, a crawl, walk, run kind of approach mm -hmm. where crawling is very much looking for our own um, initiatives within the IT space to, to start practicing yeah. the Agile concepts. Um, walk is the first steps towards doing projects together with our partners in the business. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're now getting into that run phase where we look at the actual transformations of some part of, uh, of our business into a full Agile way of work. And could, could you give an example of one of the you know, business partners, partners in the business that where that collaboration really works well and, and, and how that's, it's, it's almost like a dance that you need to do with two now to, um, to create change in the company? Yeah, I think where it went well and, and, and where it's also a lot easier is where we have actually from our um, solution space, tire solutions, mobility solutions, uh, the the, um, the areas that have already a certain level of technology maturity, certainly digital maturity, that, uh, that have gone much quicker. And some of the initiatives that we've been able to deploy quickly because of that is what we've done with Fleet Care, which is a, an all-encompassing service that we offer to fleets all over Europe on the market that is basically uh, based on combining our physical world with our digital solutions and building a particular service yeah. customized for, uh, for our largest fleet partners. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's an area where it, uh, where it certainly has, um, has worked well. Okay. And are there areas where it's more difficult or we should not talk about these? Um? <laughs> I wouldn't call it more difficult, but maybe they'll, um, they'll take a bit more, more time. Mm -hmm. yeah? uh, maybe more the, the, the sort of traditional functions, which I will not the name. Hardcore engineers. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. who knows? So, uh, so I've got to try to stay in good standing with all of my colleagues here, okay. uh, but they know who I'm talking about. And so within, I, what, does, what is the change that you need to make in IT itself? I mean, you, it doesn't mean you have to say goodbye to some people that are not following and are only think waterfall and, and you need to bring in some, some new hypos that really think in a more modern way. And, and you need to train the rest. What's, what's the, the change in your own team that you have to go through? Yeah, certainly. And I think you, when you go through this kind of change, you, you, you clearly need to understand which 
are the people that are going to be with you on that that, that journey and who have the appetite to to go there with you. Yeah. And not not everybody is there. Not everybody is with you, but that's okay. There is still a lot of value in in people that are experts in in project management in in, in the waterfall space. Yeah. Um, but certainly, it's also been a journey that we've been um, um, that we've been on with with our partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, both from them helping us out to understand what kind of practices to introduce, how to build centers of excellence. Um, and and in, even in many cases, we've been on that journey together, where also some of our partners have embarked together with us in, in learning what this, um, uh, what, what this um, is, um, is, is about, essentially. Yeah. Um, but also in, in that reassessment of, of who our partners are and, and who we engage with, this has become certainly much, much more uh, um, a criteria that, that we have been selecting on. Uh, together with an understanding that maybe we needed to bring back a number of roles, that we maybe have gone a little bit too far in, in what we've outsourced and okay. take some of the, the skills that traditionally we would have gotten uh, our partners to do to, to take that back in and invest in that area. For example, uh, in, in cloud engineers, so for the whole cloud migration space, mm-hmm. but also in what we do with our data lake, like data engineer, data scientists, uh, so uh, in the security space. So these are the kinds of profiles that we've really consciously invested in and tried to bring back uh, no. uh, from from where they were at, at an outsourcing com- uh, partner, basically. Yeah. So describe me a little bit your IT operating model now today. How many people are there? How have you organized them? What kind of groups do you have? Um, so, so how is it set up today? So what we've organized around is, 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 is very typically around um, a bit of a, a, a platform versus product kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what we've done is we've invested heavily in, in what we call the, the platforms team, the enterprise platforms team, uh, where we have typically our, our cloud operation, our SAP, our data lakes, network, mm-hmm. um, those kind of things. And, and we run that, that, that very centrally. We really look at that as the core the of what IT layers, does. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've organized in what we call our product portfolio teams, which is essentially how we partner with the business. Yeah. Yeah? Um, that's where we line up to functions like manufacturing, supply chain, R&D, finance, okay. HR, and that's um, how we try to establish that collaboration that I've been, been, been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, very often we combine that also with uh, centers of excellence around, for example, data analytics or SAP practice. Yeah? Uh, and uh, in that combination, basically, we use what we sometimes call a hub-and-spoke model to create that kind of central expertise, mm-hmm. but use then that spoke model to collaborate yeah. uh, with our partners in the business through that multifunctional teams, agile ways of working, leveraging the platforms which are essentially our building blocks. And that's sort of the how we try to manage that gradual transformation to become a much more business-connected organization. And that on an international level, on European, Middle East, India, Africa. So 
So where are your teams? Are they a little bit everywhere? And, and, and they're has everywhere. That, and has that changed since the since the lockdown and so on? Is it now even more than, uh, dispersed than, than mm -hmm. before? I I think so. Yes, I think uh, we we would uh, historically be um, um, a central heavy organization out of our HQ in in, in Brussels. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, certainly, we have taken the opportunity now that we're all used to work in a very different way to, to strengthen some of the decentralized teams that we have. Mm -hmm. So we have um, a focus on manufacturing out of our Manufacturing Center of Excellence in Bilbao. Our teams that support our R&D function are based in our technical center in, in Rome, close to the R&D engineers and the, 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 the testing team and, and the proofing ground that we have in Rome. Uh, some of our resources that support our finance function are closer located to our um, business processing center in Poznan, in Poland. Uh, we're also investing more and more in our team in India, building a uh, data and analytics capability um, uh, over there. So yes, we are, we're becoming very decentralized very, very quickly, leveraging the, the best value for the best resources across the entire region. And what's your secret for success of, of managing and growing and making such an international team successful? Because you have all these different languages, cultures and so on. Mm -hmm. Making a one team out of that is not an easy thing, I can imagine. Uh, it, it requires a bit of juggling, but I think it's, it's forces for a large extent also in its diversity. And um, for me, it's been important to, to create enough room for our team to, to play in, yeah, to, to excel in what they do. Um, my leaders come with expertise in their particular areas, uh, being it R&D or manufacturing or supply chain, and we try to leverage that as much as possible. I try to stay away from micromanaging them, but making sure that uh, I am there when, 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 when that is needed or also get out of the way sometimes if, uh, if, if that is needed. Mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly, um, it, it, it's certainly complicated to, to manage an organization that is that. that I can imagine. Yeah. So we talked about your IT operating model and, and you said that building an ecosystem of strategic partners is, is very key to your success. So tell me a little bit more about that. How do you, how do you select you, the best possible partners for you? What are your criteria and what's your um, model to collaborate with your partners? I think first of all, when I, I joined Bridgestone, one of the observations that, that we had is that we had a very, very large partner ecosystem. There were a lot of IT players in, in our area. Yeah? And I also felt that what we had was a bit of a reverse pyramid. So if I'd made this graph where at the base we had the commodity type of services, the managed services, and at the top We'd, we'd have the more innovative partners. And I felt a bit that that was a, that was a triangle with a heavy base. So there's a lot of partners in the managed space and not too many in the, in the, in the innovation area. Yeah. So when I talk about optimizing or creating a partner ecosystem that, that works for us and, and that I feel we can win with, it, it was for me about reversing the pyramid. Mm -hmm. How do I consolidate the partnerships 
where I need to leverage scale, uh, the, the Bridgestone scale, uh, to, to get the best kind of service and the best kind of value that we were, were looking for. Mm -hmm. But how do I create then an ecosystem that opens up and is much more open to innovative partners that can help us with specific use cases, with specific uh, challenges or, or, or problems that we're, we're dealing with mm -hmm. without, uh, without too much hassle. And that's basically been the focus. So you'll, you'll see that in the managed services landscape, we've, we've kind of sized it down to, to two major partners. And at the same time, opened up really for um, all kinds of company that come help us with a use case around demand management or a use case around AI in manufacturing. And that made it a lot more easy for us to, to, to have our partners yeah. flow to where they, they could create the most kind of value for, uh, for Bridgestone. And that then is, results in, in more win-win kind of relationships. Okay. So you simplified the number of partners in the, uh, let's say, the, the basic managed services area and then more in the innovative, you make sure that you had enough choice and specialist uh, That's to, right. uh, to collaborate. Yeah. Great. So let's, let's move uh, a little bit to the, to the application uh, side and, and, uh, and talk a little bit about that. I mean, the days where um, a manufacturing company could run 80 or 90% of the business on one ERP systems, I think are gone nowadays, right? So, uh, so how, how is that? How do you, and, 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 at the, and, and so one of the challenges I can imagine that you have is that since you said business is, uh, is now driving adoption of new platforms and new tools as well. So how do you make sure that you keep the BMI, the body mass index of your applications under control and how do you make sure that you standardize on the right applications uh, nowadays? Yeah. I think that that's, that that's a fantastic question because that's probably the, the challenge that is in front of me. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, when I've talked about transforming from being an order taker to a collaborator, for a large part, that, that's what, it, what it's been about. You know, mm -hmm. Typically, IT as an order taker has created a very fragmented organization or fragmented application landscape. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that part of the opportunity that, that we have in, in collaborating much, much closer to the business is, is to also build a much more robust enterprise architecture. Yeah. And certainly in that application space, I believe that that's going to make a big difference in the future. Yeah. yeah? Um, that, that said, that also comes then with, with really investing and building enterprise architecture capability. Yeah, and that is an, an, an area where certainly I'm, I'm putting a lot of attention on. Uh, that comes to some extent also with establishing uh, the design authority and who is going to determine what kind of platforms and what kind of systems we're going to run yeah. for what kind of function. And like I said, that's going to be a big challenge in the years ahead. For me. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a different discussion with the business, right? Very different discussion. Yeah, so, I mean, we cannot just adopt whatever tool that is the tool of the day, but we want to standardize, we want to invest, yeah. want to simplify at the same time so that, so that we can integrate them in the right way and that we can 
Well, I mean, managing the complexity of IT systems is so important, I think, right? Absolutely. But I think you also need to have earned your ticket to ride before yep. you get into that conversation. Mm -hmm. Your operations need to be stable and your, your digital backbone, yep. your operating model, but also your partners need to be in a place yep. where everybody is able to engage in that conversation. And so that means that you're, you're going to work in coming years on standardizing on CRM, on, on ERP, on manufacturing systems and so on as much as possible so that you have a, a well-defined stack of Absolutely, systems. I think that is the opportunity in, uh, okay. in, in, in front of us. Well, let's talk about a couple of other uh, uh, domains there. You mentioned data as an, as an important thing. Uh, and, and of course, nowadays with advanced analytics and AI, this is the fashion of the day. And this is gonna change the world as we know it today with, with Gen AI and, and, and so on and so on. Tell me a little bit what's happening with, with data in general and then with artificial intelligence within Bridgestone today. I think we obviously have a, a tremendous opportunity in, 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 in front of us. Yeah. Um, we generate huge amounts of data that uh, can be very valuable for, for us in, in what we do how we manufacture, how we optimize our supply chain, how we do demand forecasting, mm -hmm. um, how we, we also make differences in, in how we collaborate as, in, as in, 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 in a community of, of employees across Bridgetown. Now, obviously, there, there's a lot of work to be done in that, that area. And I think typically, I'm sure my colleagues see lots of use cases everywhere. There's new shiny objects all the time, and there's a lot to do about AI now. Um, what for me is important, though, is that, that we bring a certain level of, of, of focus, not try to jump on, on every new shiny object too quickly. Um, it's important that we, we do engage in that conversation, but it's far more important that we, we fix the foundations. Yeah. It's like how do we get to our data? How do we catalog it? How do we get it into our data lake? How do we make it yeah. is useful? And I think too often we forget that that's, that's the hard work and that needs to be done. So uh, certainly from our point of view, that's going to be remain a, a focus for yeah. us. Yeah. Now, AI brings us to the, um, um, the self-driving car. So, I mean, as a petrol head or an, an EV head maybe in the, uh, as well. So, how do, you, how do you look at that? I mean, you follow the car industry uh, very closely. When are we finally going to ha have self-driving cars in, in, in your vision? Um, I think we already have self-driving cars. Yeah, maybe... Maybe the technology is, is, is now very, very close to, to where it, it should be, but maybe we as, as humanity are not entirely ready for it yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think often that, that we have higher demands of what technology can do than what we'd expect from our neighbors who, who drive a car uh, every day. Mm -hmm. But I... I I believe that, that that chapter is probably not entirely written yet of how it is going to look in the future. Um, there will be some aspect of autonomous driving, but I feel that there's still, for the foreseeable future, going to be a lot of room for hybrid. Um, sort of a 
a coexistence. All, all like we talk in, with about AI often in terms of the fact that it's there to to help us, to mm -hmm. augment us, to to make us as an individual yeah. better. And and certainly in the the nearest future, I feel that that's where yeah, the autonomy the of a gonna, car is going to yeah, help us a lot. It's going to be hybrid, but if you take your crystal ball and you look 10, 20 years ahead, then driving yourself is not an option anymore, I can imagine. It's going to be very, very expensive and you can only do it with your classic car maybe, right? Perhaps, but time will tell. I, I, think, that, um, I think that future is... There's so many variables in that that it's highly uncertain yeah. what exactly is going to happen by when. But it's certain that uh, um, there is a revolution going on in the automotive industry. Things are changing very, very quickly. And uh, certainly the last chapter has not been written no, on that yet. But it's an exciting industry. Isn't it? Absolutely, Absolutely, yeah. We talked about um, your, your enterprise applications. We talked about data. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about infrastructure and cloud as well. So what is your uh, cloud uh, strategy and, and how far are you in your journey to where you want to be in your, um, in, in your cloud future? Okay, so I, I think uh, we, like a number of years back, we, we made a, a, a hesitant but conscious decision to become cloud first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've partnered, we've invested heavily in, in understanding what, what that would, would mean. Mm -hmm. I think we, we obviously had, uh, uh, we had cloud, we had Azure on our premise, but, but admittedly, we, uh, just a few years back, we managed that like any old data center. This, so we, we were not getting any of the, the sort of efficiencies that you'd expect from a, normal, from, from a modern cloud. Yeah. Um, so we deliberately embarked on, um, on, a, on a journey to what we call, first of all, build a technical footprint. So what do we need our cloud to look like? What, what is our flavor of, of what that means we need? Um, but also embark on the organizational change that you'd need to, to run um, a cloud center of excellence yep. and really have that ambition to, to turn that into a digitally native cloud environment. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's many aspects of that. Certainly, we've, we've looked at Azure, but also um, in the meantime, we, we run our data lake, we run SAP, we run uh, these on a, on a cloud platform in mm -hmm. the meantime. But it's been a journey of, of, of quite a few years because it does take uh, a very different mindset, lots of different skills, talent that you need that you don't, mm -hmm. that you don't have. So it's an investment that you consciously have to make across several years, which also includes finding the right partner to help yeah. you with that. Um, I'd like to think at this point in time that uh, we're, we're getting close to completing our migration. So in the next few weeks, and I cross, cross fingers touch wood, we, we will be closing what we would call our traditional data center. Okay. We'll become as, as much cloud as we can for what we call our enterprise systems mm -hmm. or enterprise applications. Uh, we, we do obviously still have uh, locally in our plants and our R&D centers, we do have data centers, so our next part of the journey is going to be understanding how we can make that edge concept come alive. Yeah. Um, but it's very much a journey that, that we've embarked on and that we feel gives us the kind of 
of scalability, the kind of reliability, the security, but also the sustainability that we've been uh, looking for from a, from a modern IT platform. Making sure that your, your infrastructure, your communication infrastructure also supports the huge volume and, 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 and the IoT and the edge computing and so on is also very key, right? No, absolutely. And I think that um, initially when we embarked on our cloud journey, mm -hmm. In, in hindsight, it was probably an area we underestimated. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, not that we've completely ignored it, but I would have uh, paid much more attention to that particular area much sooner in the process if, if I had the opportunity to, to start over again. Yeah. Now, now, luckily, we, um, we have been uh, having a great partnership with, with BT for a number of, 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 of years now. Yeah. And, and they've really been instrumental in, in, in helping us shape uh, that particular transition, um, uh, also helping us build our roadmap, uh, helping us understand what their roadmap for the future looks like and, and, and how to take uh, into account the kind of investments we need to start preparing for. But they've also been a key partner in the operational execution and effectively um, helping us to close our data center. Yeah. Okay. And, and you're helping them in the, on, on, on their roadmap, I understand as well, right? I'm sure, yeah. So they, they love to, to hear uh, from their customers what mm -hmm. their, their challenges are, yeah. uh, how they can help. So this is very much a, a, a mutual gain, like a win-win kind of relationship yeah. where uh, we have a, a partnership for, for, a, for, for a few years. That, uh, that is important to Bridgestone, but I'm sure is also important to BT. Okay. Now, last uh, aspect of that, we mentioned it already quickly, is security, of course. I mean, uh, cloud models means completely different security models and, and challenges as well. I mean, I can imagine that you, like many, many organizations, are doing uh, major investments in that area as well, right? Absolutely, and I think that... Um um, obviously, every organization looks at, at, at how they plan, how they budget going forward. But we see that every year uh, what we plan to do, uh, certainly in the, in the security space, becomes a more and more important part of, of, of how, we do, how we do business. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, um, I, 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 sometimes I, I, I refer to what our security organization does as, as, what, as the same thing, what, what, car, what, what brakes on a car do. It, it, it feels sorry, intuitively that this is meant to stop your car, mm -hmm. but it's actually what makes your car go faster. What allows you to go fast, and I think that we've been able to look at what we do with our cybersecurity team in in that particular context. Uh, we have great engagement with with our business executives at board level around cybersecurity, but also around data privacy and and and, and particularly those kind of compliant compliance efforts as well. And, and I think that partnership has really enabled us to to. Yeah, to, to get the, also the kind of industry certifications that, uh, that also give us the, the competitive advantage or that ticket to ride with, with our OEM partners that, um, that we're looking for. I mean, that's a really beautiful metaphor. So the, the better your brakes are, the faster you can drive. And so the better your security, cybersecurity is, the faster you can innovate. Absolutely, yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a very nice one. Um, 
we touched upon uh, in the beginning of our conversation, Bridgestone traditionally is a Japanese company. I can imagine that has an, an impact on the culture. Maybe we can touch on that uh, a little bit as well. Technology driven was one of the key factors and it's clear that there's a huge investment and you're making huge uh, changes. Sustainability was one of the USPs for, uh, for Bridgestone as well. Tell me a little bit, what's the role of, 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 of the CIOs and, 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 and IT in general in helping Bridgestone become more sustainable? Um, I, I think first of all, like in, in, in Bridgestone has, has, an, has an old culture, has an old Japanese culture. And uh, already at the, the beginning in 1931, our, our, our founder talked in terms of a company that gives back to society and that does well for society will be rewarded forever. Yeah. And that's still one of the things that uh, we see ourselves being influenced by on, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's the kind of value work framework that we've created. We call that our E8 commitments. Yeah? Uh, that's the kind of framework we've created to demonstrate how what Bridgestone does gives back to, to society. And um, obviously the, the environment and taking care of the environment is one of the pillars in, in that particular program. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, we look at sustainability and what we do with sustainability as a key competitive differentiator for Bridgestone as a brand on, on the market. And yeah. we're proud to say that, that there's, there's a, across a plura plurality of, of benchmarks, we're doing really, really well in it there. We, mm -hmm. we for example, have a, a platinum score with, with Ecovadis, which means that we're being ranked top 1% in, in, in the efforts that we do in, um, in that particular space. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of how IT can contribute, I, I think particularly in that area, we see, um, uh, we see a lot of activity going on around CO2 accounting, around ESG reporting, around uh, the European directives around deforestation and all of these elements yeah. that uh, uh, that are requirements basically that that that, that help Bridgestone to be uh, that uh, that sustainable leader or that leader at that sustainability front. They're, they're essentially the solution is very often uh, digital and their platform solutions. So, yeah. IT as an IT team, we invest heavily in that. We create core expertise in that, very much like we do for ERP systems or CRM systems or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this this does become a particular competency where we are investing in. But let's talk a little bit more about your role in the organization. So you're today you're VP head of IT, and EMEA. Um, what is that? What is that you really do, and where do you spend most of your time today? I think we talked earlier about the fact that for me, my ambition is to turn IT from an order taker into a collaborator. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that essentially is a, is a huge challenge. It's, it's management of change. It's cultural change. It's, uh, it's, it's a people thing. And that's quite frankly where I spend a lot of my time on it. I wouldn't, I don't like to call it evangelizing, but it's a little bit of that helping uh, the organization out understand what it also takes from the business or from the functional side to get the maximum out of the digital investments that we've 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 made mm -hmm. yeah and certainly uh, this year next year probably for the foreseeable future 
that is going to be one of my, my main challenges. Uh, because when you run an IT organization, I mean, you need to build the credibility and the reputation in order to, um, uh, to have your seat at the table and, and to be a business partner for, uh, for, for the other um, parts of the, of, of the organization, right? So, so how, would you, how would you describe your way of managing your team? Is there a, a, a specific uh, management style that you ad, uh, adopt in, in, in running your organization? I think, first of all, um, I, I, like, like we talked, I have a very dispersed team. My, my team basically is, is all, all over <laughs> the region. I, well, I, I hope that they have at least all of affinity with the automotive industry. Yeah. That's, a, that's certainly um, a plus. Um, but I, I, I'm not a micromanager. I, I believe in personal accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked earlier about the fact that, that, that each of, of, of my direct team members are very competent, capable people for their own yeah. particular area. So I, I work a lot on a trust basis that they know what they're doing. And um, I do hope that uh, I can work from an an angle that gives them the kind of support that they need to be successful. And, yeah. and like I said, get out of the way if, when, when I need to get, get out of the way. Yeah. How easy is it to, to attract the right people in your organization? How, how attractive are you as an employer and, and people that watch this video? Why should I come and work with, uh, with, with, uh, in your team? Well, I think first of all, um, um, it, 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 this, is a, this is a very, very challenging business. Yeah, And we certainly have uh, our challenges when it comes down to the, the, the war for talent. Mm -hmm. um, but I personally, I get very excited about what's going on in the automotive industry. It's, it's a, to some extent an, an industry that is, that is reinventing itself at a very, very quick pace. Mm -hmm. uh, society as such is, is, is reinventing itself almost yeah. with, with a huge impact on, on, on what is going on. And I think uh, certainly uh, for those that have passion for, for technology, mm -hmm. this is a beautiful uh, sector to, to yeah. come and work in and where you can really make a difference uh, with, with whatever skill you can bring to the table. Okay. Yeah. We talked about your management style. Let's also talk about leadership style because you know, when you're a manager, you need to organize your team, motivate your people and so on and so on. But in the end, people um, want to work with you because you are leading them in the right way, I can imagine. So, so what do you think people will say about you? What do you think, that you, how is your leadership style appreciated? What is it that they say about you when you're not around? Uh, well, I'd love to, to be a fly on the wall and, and hear directly what, uh, what they have to say. But I, I, I know what I hope they'd say is that, that that, that I'm a very approachable manager, mm -hmm. that I look for the collaboration. I, I don't like the, the hierarchical barrier sometimes that is, that is being created. So I'd like to operate from, from within, uh, mm -hmm. within my team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably if you ask some, they'll, they'll repeat a few slogans that, that I repeat once in a while. I, I like to keep things simple uh, one of the things that i say is hey if you come and ask me something there's only four things that i can give you I can give you money i can give you time i can give you fdes or i can give you a shoulder to cry on but that one you'll get only once yeah <laughs> so they, they they might start resonating with that 
Um, but obviously, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that, that also some of them uh, will, will scratch their head and wonder sometimes how to deal with, uh, with, with me. I'm, I'm, I, I realize that I can be, be fairly demanding. Mm -hmm. I'm usually demanding for myself. I'll certainly be demanding for the people that, that I work with. And I'm also sure that that sometimes is not always appreciated. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your personality. And you shared with us your MBTI uh, profile, your personality type, and you are a campaigner, an ENFP, which is uh, an extroverted, intuitive, feeling and prospecting uh, personality. And these are people that embrace the big ideas and their actions reflect their sense of hope and goodwill towards others. And their vibrant energy can flow in many, many different directions. But I'm going to give you a couple of very strong points for, uh, for campaigners. And you tell me where do you recognize yourself in, and then we'll do the flip side of that as well. Okay. So ENFPs typically are very curious, perceptive, enthusiastic, they're excellent communicators, uh, very festive and good natured. So which one resonates most with you? I think that, yeah, that sounds like all of the above probably, yeah. No, I, um, I, I, I think I, I very, very much recognized myself in, mm -hmm. in, in the profile again the, and in the outcome of that. Because yeah. yeah. I must say, it's not the most typical um, VPIT CIO profile. Because most of them are more, they more, most of the time they have, they have more judging personalities and, and less of perceiving personalities. Because perceiving means that you're open and, uh, for, uh, for, for late moment changes and so on and so on. So, so let's look at the, the, the flip side of your personality. Potential weaknesses, development areas, let's call them, are that uh, ENFPs are sometimes people pleasing. They can be unfocused, disorganized. They can be overly accommodating, overly optimistic, and sometimes restless. I'm sure a couple of these... All of the above. <laughs> and how do you manage that? Because you cannot be disorganized. You cannot be unfocused. So how do you get to a position like where you are with this uh, profile? How have you developed yourself on a professional level here? Well, I, I think, first of all, it, it, it's about recognizing what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And if you can combine that with, with enjoying what you do, then you have a recipe for success. Mm -hmm. If you then recognize also what your development opportunities are and you have the humility to, to admit that, mm -hmm. then you can also surround yourself with people that, that help you compensate for that. Yeah. And, and I think that's where of always being being fairly successful in, in, in recognizing probably what what my shortfalls are or where I'm, I'm not that good at yeah. but then surrounding me with people that I rely on and trust on and 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 yeah that that just helped me build a really great team and, yeah. and in the end there's no individual that can carry this stuff alone right and the the hallmark of a good manager is to to knowing who to surround yourself with absolutely and what do you do are you conscious about your own personal development your own professional development do you invest in i don't know in mbas in personal development uh, uh roads uh, that or trainings that you do and i don't know in meditation 
and reading books. How do you keep up with, 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 with the, the fast-changing world of IT and so on? How do you develop yourself? Well, I think, first of all, I, um, I am curious by nature. Yeah? So in, certainly professionally, I, um, I, I surround myself with, with, with people who give me great advice. Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, I'm a regular attendee of, of, of conferences, of peer-to-peer -peer organizations. Our community, you're very active Absolutely. in our community. Yep. Yeah, I, um, I, I'd love to, to stroll into particular topics and learn more about uh, about them, but given my personality, I won't go too deep into into them either. Um, but to be honest, I, um, I like I said, I'm curious by nature. It's it's also part of, of how I relax mm -hmm. is to learn about new things. So like okay. I learn, I'd love to learn about history. I'd learn uh, like to learn about certain technical topics. I like to do things with my hands, be creative. So it's that curious nature that I have, which, which very often makes me also a bit restless. Yeah, so it's both how I develop professionally and how I disconnect. So I think we're now, this is the right moment to talk about your passion for cars and for historic cars. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, um, I, I, I guess I grew up with that, you know. I mentioned earlier, I, I, I grew up in the shadow of, of the racing track of 1980s Formula One and mm -hmm. Deutsche Tourwagen Meisterschaft. So that's always been with me as a kid. I had an uncle who, who restored uh, um, classic British cars, uh, like, a, like a Triumph TR3. And I've, I've always remembered that. And when the, at my first opportunity, when I had the ability to own a classic car, I bought a, I bought a small little Triumph. And, uh, and you work there, on them yourself? With... I work on them myself. So yeah, yeah this, uh, I've, I've educated myself specifically in that classic car technology from engines to bodywork to upholstery to to the, the whole aspect of it. And uh, I've owned a, a few classic cars in the meantime. It's my, my joy to, uh, to participate in, in road trips, mm -hmm. either in my, my neighborhood, or even take a classic car all the way up to the north of Scotland and back. Uh, so that's, uh, that's absolutely my so passion. specifically British cars. What's your current uh, car that you own? I own an Austin Healey 3000 mm -hmm. from uh, 1963. Very good. And I have been lucky to take over my, my, my mother's daily driver for, uh, for 25 years, which is in the meantime is a, is a classic car. And that's a 1992 Mazda Miata, which I spent quite a bit of time uh, restoring myself. And I'm very pleased now to start handing that over to my, my daughter. So we, we keep it in the family. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your, your, your family. You shared with us, you have a daughter, she studies psychology. I have a son who's a law student. That's right. What are, what is the, I mean, and, and don't have an engineer in the family, so a big loss there, I can imagine. Uh, so, but what is the, and so I want to deep uh, dive a little bit deeper in your personality and, and what drives you. What are the values that you have, that you're passing on to your children? How do you want, what are the values that you want them to see grow up with? I think most of the time, the kind of, of conversations that I have with my children are about do not take for granted everything you hear. Mm -hmm. Keep a critical mind. Think for yourself. Do your own research. Yeah? 
look at things from a different perspective. I think particularly for me, that's, that's what I learned when I, I spent some time in the Philippines. I lived and worked in the Philippines for, for about five years. And for me, as an experience that has learned me how to completely reset my value framework, like uh, simple things like uh, no doesn't really exist. Yes can mean a lot of different things. Time is a completely different concept. And, and that's sort of what's been the enriching experience for me to, to, to live and work abroad, is that ability to take a very, very different perspective to the same thing. And that's particularly what I would like to, to um, make my children aware of, that there is, there's the facts, but there's several different ways, perspectives of mm -hmm. trying to understand what those facts mean. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that as they, they grow up, as they grow further and they start their own professional careers, that they have that ability to um, keep different perspectives on things. Okay. Now, we already mentioned a couple of, of your, well, how should I call them, memes, words, phrases that come back on a regular basis. It's not a revolution, it's an evolution. It's one of them. But do you have other personal mantras that help you in difficult times to, to, to stay focused? I think one that I've carried along for um, for a long time in the meantime, and it's it, it's I, I, I thought, or at least I, I thought it was Einstein that said it, but so many things get contributed to Einstein. Yeah, but something that, that I often refer back to is that, you know, vision without execution is hallucination. Yeah. So you can dream big dreams, but in the end, it's about making them come true. And mm -hmm. that's something that uh, also in, in, in my professional life is, is very valuable because now, for example, a lot of people talk about AI mm -hmm. and it's very easy to get lost into all the beautiful things that it brings. Yeah. But what are we now going to do with it? How do we really decide where it's valuable for us and how are we going to execute for that? Do we understand what it, what it takes? Do we have what it takes yeah. to, to do certain use cases? Yeah. And yeah, that's one that, that I, I regularly get back to. Okay. Now you already shared a couple of personal things, but if you look back on your personal life, your professional life as well, what would you say is one of the best things that has ever happened to you? I think one of the best things that, that happened to me was also one of the things that came out of maybe the most difficult situation professionally I've been into. I think at a certain point in time uh, with a previous employer, I felt that professionally I got really stuck. Yeah, there was sort of no way from, from, from where I, I was, um, but I've had what I felt was already made a, made a really nice career, beautiful career, and was very pleased with how it had advanced. Um, but then I took, took a very difficult decision to take a step back, make a lateral move into a very different kind of, of profession and, and grow again from, from there. And uh, that's probably one of the most difficult decisions that I've taken, but that's also probably one of my best decisions that, that I've, I've taken because Certainly, my career has, has accelerated tremendously from there. 
Because you worked on, on, the, on the supply side and on the demand side. You worked at P&G and Bridgestone on the demand side, let's call it, and then in HP and DXC on the, on the, the supply side. How do you compare that? I mean, that's completely different ways of working? Well, yes and no. It, it feels to some extent also as a, as a, as a natural progression or, or a circle that, mm -hmm. that, complete that, that is complete. Obviously, I started with, with Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when Procter & Gamble decided to outsource its IT to HP, that's, that's how I became an HP employee. I was working in the Philippines at that point in time. So I was, you could say that, as far in the IT back office as you can possibly be. And every step that I've since taken in my career, I've made a conscious move to come closer to, to the customer. No. From the back office into delivery management, into a commercial role, account general manager, and then, and then it almost felt time to, to come on the customer side uh, again. And okay. I feel that that whole evolution is, is very, very much a, a strength for me in my, my current role mm -hmm. because I, I do have seen yeah, almost every aspect of, of what a job in IT yeah. can be or what you can be exposed to as an IT professional. Some people say that the, the CEOs of the future are the current CIOs, the current VPs, ITs, because they have seen so many aspects of, of, of the business, so many business processes they have interacted with, with so many different clients and so on and so on. Do you, you feel that as well? And do you see that as a potential career path for yourself, more in a general management role? I think for a large extent, I'm already in a general management role. Yeah, the, the role that I'm currently in is, is so diverse and has so many different, different aspects. Yeah. Um, but certainly at, at, um, at, 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 at Bridgestone, we're investing more and more in in technology solutions, in mobility yeah. solutions. So I, um, I certainly feel that there are more opportunities um, uh, for me and Bridgestone than, than where I'm at now. And certainly as technology becomes the, the, the ticking clock of a business, I don't think there, there, is, uh, there are many limits for any CIO. You, we talked about the best things that happened to you, the best things that, that the, what you learned from I mean, an, an interesting um, concept that I learned a couple of years ago was the, the concept of a brilliant failure. I mean, we all have our successes, but we also all have our failures, things that go completely pear-shaped uh, one way or another. Um, so could you maybe share one moment in, in, in your career where you said, well, there we completely effed up and, and, but we learned a lot from it. That was, that was a, brilliant, a brilliant failure that we learned from. Well, I, obviously, there's, there's, in a long career, there's many, <laughs> many, many mistakes. But I like what you said. It's, it's not a failure. A mistake is not a failure unless you haven't learned anything from that. And, and certainly, in the past, where I, where I worked with customers, I've dealt with many difficult transformations, uh, business, IT, from one vendor to another that have, have certainly not always gone as I, um, as I had planned them. And I've, been, I've seen certainly my share of go to green plans and, and all these kind of things. But when I reflect back on, on my career, I think the, 
the mistakes that I made or maybe the things that I regret are, are probably the, the things that I didn't do or the decisions that I didn't take or the opportunities that I, I, I let go because of uh, maybe out of, of fear for the unknown or not willing to take the risk or out of a certain level of comfortableness with, with where I was. Yeah being afraid of the uncertainty and now after a few years now that I'm, I'm wiser those are the things that I look back in regret. Okay. Let's go to the philosophical uh, level uh, Bart and um, if you reflect on how you are wired and how you function in life what would you say that that you really love most and what is it that you fear most in your life? I think that that in in general, I I love I love life and and everything that comes with that and the people in my life. Um, I am a bon vivant. I love to travel. I love to eat well, drink well, uh, just just generally enjoy what 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 life has to to offer. Yeah. yeah? Um, Maybe that's also my biggest fear, that one day it will end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe at a certain point in time I'll, I'll lose my, my health or my age won't permit me anymore to get into a classic car and do the kind of tours that I would love to. And, and certainly, I, um, if it's something that I can wish for, it'll be a long and health, healthy life. Yeah. So a long health span, as we call it nowadays, that's what we... Quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. How do you look at the future? I mean, we live in uncertain times. That's the least we can say. Mm -hmm. and, and we're putting children on this earth. Is that a good idea? Should they put children on, the, on this earth? How do you look at the future today? Well, I, I think I look at the future with, with, with a lot of excitement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, certainly, we, we see recently a number of, of, of technological breakthroughs. Yeah, we, we live in, in, in an area where now uh, there seems to be a real momentum around AI, despite the fact that this is being promised since, since the <laughs> 60s, yes. basically, pretty much. And while I think there's reason to, to be, be, be skeptical and to, to be critical, mm -hmm. I, I also feel it, it, it's a time of excitement of, of how us as, as humanity, how it can, can, can help us and mm -hmm. how it can help us with some of the, the challenges of, of our time and help us solve problems around mobility and healthcare around sustainability, helping us address the climate change. So I feel that this is sort of a, an opportunity for, a, for an acceleration in solving some of our generation's problem. How that is not, how that's going to happen is not, not clear yet, but I feel that promise is there. So I look at it at quite optimistically. Okay, super. Now, these videos are watched by your peers, but also by young, dynamic, professionals that want to follow in your footsteps and that want to build a career as, as, as a top CIO, a top uh, VP IT. So in what are, what's the advice that you would give to these young professionals? What is it that you have learned that you can pass on to the next generation? I think, first of all, it's important to stay curious. Keep, keep an open mind, you know, and there's so many great things 
happening and certainly in, in our sector in technology gets redefined all the time. Keep an openness about that. And I think it's also important to combine it with a certain humility. Mm -hmm. You need humility to understand the fact that you still need to learn much. Humility is a prerequisite to learn more. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the advice that I would give. There's nothing more annoying than dealing with, with people that are consulted <laughs> that appear or come across that I have the whole wisdom of the world in their in their pocket because there's not and starting from that humility and then willingness that curiosity to learn is probably the greatest asset that, that, that you can have to from one side be excited about what you do but also to distinguish you from the rest of the pack Okay. And on that note, Bart, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all your great ideas. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Henrik. Thank you.